This is it. The final episode of The Second Stranger. It's hard to imagine that three years ago there were only five of us sitting around an embarrassingly colored blue and pink Twitch overlay that I made on my old torrented copy of Photoshop CS6, telling gay little stories about an apocalypse, the gods, and broken heroes. As the days turned into weeks, turned into months, turned into years, I look back on this incredible journey of the second stranger with immense fondness and gratitude. I am so so incredibly proud of the story we've woven together, a story that would have been impossible to tell without the massive choices, huge swings, heartfelt performances, and dedicated creative collaboration from my cast and my dramaturg. So see Erica, Max, Quinn, Humna, Dare, Austin, and Val, thank you all so, so much for joining The Second Stranger and telling this unforgettable story with me. We have grown so much, we have learned so much, and we have loved so much. The story of The Second Stranger will stay with me forever as one of the greatest pieces of art I've ever had the honor of making with my friends. And as our incredible community members and listeners, thank you all so much for being a part of this journey with me. I will cherish this story forever. Content warnings for this episode include fantasy violence, apocalypse, trauma, grief, depictions of war, romance and references to sexual entanglements, depictions of food and alcohol, funerals, death of parental figures, sacrifice, and major player character death. Arc 8, Episode 8 The End of All Things by Connie Chong Part 1. Rebirth. You? Spare me? You? Spare me? Very well. Then I am spared. And this was not foreseen. And this was always foreseen. Rise. Fate, and call me by my full name, and call yourself by your full name, and call magic by theirs. And fate rises, and oblivion rises, and together they gaze upon magic, and upon magic's face we see guilt, and we see shame, and we see the beginning of an infinity of reckoning, and upon fate's face we see the same. And when fate speaks, her voice wavers. She holds her words like knives in an open palm. Every syllable cuts her. Every vowel rages in terror against the long dark. And still, she speaks. And magic listens. And oblivion witnesses. I am fate the first. I am fate the second. 
and my name is Fate and Doom. He is Magic the Third, and his name is Magic and Muse. And you are Oblivion the Second. You are Oblivion the First. And your name is Oblivion and Salvation. Oblivion and Salvation closes their eyes and they breathe. They breathe a name they had been denied for an infinity. They breathe an echo devoured by its own hungry ghost. They breathe as a precept, as a mortal, as neither, and as both. <sighs> Salvation. I had almost forgotten. I haven't held that part of myself in so long, and yet it has always been here with me. He is magic and muse. In our new reality, he will have choice as well. Choice to create alongside you, not underneath you. And you are fate and doom. Just as I have light within my darkness, you have darkness within your light. And both and all are beautiful. Do not scorn your other sides as I have been forced to scorn mine, lover. You are fate and doom. He is magic and muse. And I am oblivion and salvation. No one of us is ever just good. Ever just bad. Evil is a choice. So is good. And oblivion and salvation and fate and doom, and magic and muse, turn to look at the eight of you. And Oblivion and Salvation says, Hitsagaten Eluso is the name of the body I've always had, even though I've never been allowed to step inside it. Hitsagaten Eluso is the name of the peace of my immortal soul, that I broke off and placed inside an empty void. And from that void, that broken piece became her own person. He was salvation, I was oblivion. And now, for the first time since time, we have the opportunity to become one. Oblivion and salvation blinks. And when they open their eyes again, both irises are brown. And Hitsagaten says to the eight of you, My whole life, I've been lost. I've not known who I am. My mind, my body, my soul were shattered. I swore that one day, I'd unravel the greatest mystery I was aware of. The mystery of myself. And now, 
I know. I know who I am. I know who I've always been. For the past 5,000 years, I know my love and my curiosity for Andake, for her people, for Shuhai. I know I erased myself when I got a little too close to finding out the truth. I know I am the forgotten heart, and I am the forgetter. I can feel it, the broken edges of my soul, how I am a piece of oblivion that she broke off of herself, how she put everything good and kind and beautiful about herself into me, and how she planted me in the black loam of nothing. And how despite everything, despite fate and despite doom, I grew. I became. I lived and I loved. I've always been a part of Oblivion, and Oblivion has always been a part of me. And now, my friends, I have a choice. For the first time since time, I have a choice. So I am choosing now to become who I've always been, to step into myself, into who I am, into who I yearn to one day become. Hitsakaten Haluso and Oblivion and Salvation, united as one, as we always have been, as we were always meant to be, and as we choose to be now. And Dr. Aluso approaches each of you, and upon each of your foreheads, she plants a kiss. And to gentle, she says, gentle, the thread that binds us all. You have always been there for your friends. Trust that your friends will always be there for you too. To Sitlali, she says, Sitlali Goldheart, the inquisitive mind, the stalwart heart. While you chart new horizons of magic, I know you will use your blade to fight for change. To Jaron, she says, Jaron Cotter, the lover and the advocate for choice. Even as fate and doom try to count down our clocks, you inspire us all to make our own decisions. To Vaska, she says, Vaska, the weaver of heart. <laughs> your poems have kept my soul warm on many a cold night, and your stories will bring people together across infinite darkness. To Vasanti, she says, Vasanti Nakshirso, you have taken so many risks. It's time we can put that blade down. I am so happy you're finally getting the reward you deserve. To Dewey, she says, 
Dewey Quirk. The best inventor I've ever known. The best father I've ever known. May you fly far into the freedom you have earned. She pauses in front of you, Abiku, and she says, Abiku Ishtar, the first light in my sky. When I found you, I was looking for myself, and so were you. And now, we are found. You are my first friend, and I will carry you in my heart, always. And then she reaches you, Oka. And she takes your hands in hers, and she looks you deeply in the eyes. Oka Hien. My soulmate. My hope. My guiding star. You have shown me the beauty in scar work, the love in every cut of the blade, the poem in every grief. I need you to tell me, Oka. Is this goodbye? The smiles, and they lift their hands to cup. It's Augustine's cheeks. I promised Shuhai that I would break the stranger's heart. But I cannot abide by that. So it's not. I value this instead. I will never, ever kiss you goodbye. I will only ever kiss you good morning. Hello. I love you so much. I love you too, Oka Hien. I always have. And I always will. Hitsagatin closes his eyes. And when he opens them, one iris remains brown, and the other turns blue. And the good doctor and oblivion and salvation turn, and they join fate and doom and magic and muse in the center of the stage. Hitsagatin and oblivion and salvation raises their hand into the sky, and they pluck the seed of annihilation from the body of the stranger, and they break it into three pieces. They hand a piece to fate and doom. They hand a piece to magic and muse. And they keep a piece for themselves. And together, the three precepts eat. And together, the three precepts are transformed. Light, as dark as a farewell, surges from all three of their bodies. Their silhouettes begin to blur. Their colors melt into themselves. And when the light dies down, two precepts 
are changed, while one has become who they were always meant to be. His hair is now black. Not gold, not brown, black. As dark as void, as dark as the lightless gap between stars. A single streak of white, brilliant as horizon, cuts through their hair. Their eyes are blue with flecks of brown. Their eyes are brown with flecks of blue. Her hair is light brown and smooth, undisturbed, with no markings to speak of except on their fingers. Four tattoos of stars glimmer on the knuckle bones of their right hand and four tattoos of stars glimmer on the knuckle bones of their left hand. Along with a slender crimson band around their ring finger. Shining underneath the black fabric of their shirt, we see the outline of a ninth star glowing directly over their heart. Their face is exactly the same as Sagu's. The jaw, the brow, the mouth, they are Hitsagaten, and they are Oblivion, and they are Salvation. They are exactly the same as the Good Doctor, and exactly different. They are the place after the after, and the place beyond the beyond. And as the light dies down, she slips on her white lab coat, reaches into the breast pocket, and pulls out a pair of glasses puts on the glasses, blinks, looks at the eight of you, and he says, Hello, everyone. My name is Shepard. Part Two Life The year is 407 AT. Hair 16. 11 p.m. And one by one, the stars come back. As the nothing plane curls away from the great beyond, the stars reignite in systematic lines from south to north, lighting up in careful then raucous joy, we see the island of Uhanahi, the kingdom of Tulong, the united tribes of Jukai, the championship of Nabal, the republic of Talmud, the clans of Kirtal, the court of ravens, the commune of Moroz. The beyond is back, and the war is finally over. But the godspine is still gone. The seas remain parched. What was taken by annihilation remains taken and can never be returned. The second great rebuilding will commence. It will take a long time, and it will involve all of you. And all of you will have a choice in what the future of Endake looks like. And tonight, you choose love. Shepherd's Homestead is alight with star shine and music. Between Emperor Xiongzhen, Squeak, and Shepherd herself, rebuilding the cottage was small potatoes. 
ivy garlands snake up the wooden posts of the front porch, and fairy lights float throughout the yard, the smell of hot cider and tea lending warmth to the chilly night air. The stars above illuminate everything. The weave sings in wholeness, and the chickens cluck. But most of all, the wedding between Abiku and Shrinyi and Vasanti and Rev is in full swing. Kane, supercharged from the rejuvenated weave, had offered to conjure luxuries out of thin air, but Shepard had suggested the party reflect the guests. Battered, bloodied, broken, whole. There is something divine in stacking milk crates with your friends to form an altar, in hauling logs to create benches, in gathering what fruits and meats and vegetables may be in the icebox and frying them up on the stovetop. And so we find the 16 of you, plus Squeak, plus Kane, plus Mercy and Costas and Sun and Bud and so many others, clustered in Shepherd's front yard, garbed in your wartime best, ragged and bruised and watching four lovers take their vows. Abiku and Vasanti. The two of you stand at the front of the crowd, facing your beloveds. Shrini and Rev are radiant. They're bloodied, bruised, battered, just like the two of you, but they are smiling. And they are so beautiful. And behind the altar made of milk crates, Squeak officiates. All right, all right. Abiku, Shrinyi, Vasanti, Wev. It's time to exchange vows. Let's see. Eeny, meeny, miny. Abiku and Shrinyi. Why don't the two of you go first? Um, yes, okay. So, I was going to write something down, but then there was the whole world-ending thing. So, um, this is just off the dome. Shuni, the last time we tried to get married, we got assassinated, and Abika looks around. I think we're good this time. I do apologize, I did give away your old wedding gift, and I did not bring a new one, but I hope this can suffice. 10,000 years ago, I promised you a wedding, and I'm sorry the people we know then cannot be here. I am sorry for what we have lost, but with your help, we have gained a lot. We have new friends, new family. I thought we could build a new home. I sort of started regrowing that old forest I was from. I promised you the life before and the one after and the one after that. This is sort of life too. So we have one more and then I'm a free agent. It does not matter how many wars we have to fight, how many times the world ends, how many people try to keep us apart. Clearly we are meant to be together. I mean, we died and still found each other. I had no memory. You were a wall thing. And still I found you. I will always find you. And I will always love you. I don't know how to end speeches. 
That was probably a good line, and then I ruined it. <laughs> Abiku, you didn't ruin anything. That was perfect. You're right. Our first wedding was interrupted by an assassination. <laughs> and then she pauses and looks at the crowd, like, like fiercely, like her eyes just sticking on all of you. And then <laughs> she laughs and turns back to you, Abiku. Funny how we keep meeting like this, right? In the middle of wars. At the end of a blade. At the end of my fist. <laughs> really. Abiku Ishtar. I am the luckiest woman that has ever lived. And died. Because I got to meet you. Yes. Yes, and infinite times, yes, you have my life in this one, and the one after, and the one beyond that. And when we're ready, with our life after the after, with our undeath beyond the beyond, I will take your hand and I will walk into oblivion with you. But that should be easy. She is right over there. <laughs> I love you, Habiku Ishtar. I love you too. And Squeak starts the applause uh, for for this set of vows. Uh, and then she like very quickly makes a gesture. Silence! Very well. That was beautiful. Abiku and Shrini. Just absolutely immaculate. And now, Vasanti, Wev, it's your turn. Vasanti turns towards Rev and takes a deep breath. And finally begins to say, looking at Rev in the eyes, My dearest Rev, it is so strange to stand here before you without the threat of Andake ending on the horizon. Finally, we can breathe and just relax and look at each other, not as fighters protecting Andake, but we can look at each other as we always deserve to look at each other, as lovers. Love is a currency, one that quite honestly I had felt bankrupted on for all of my life. But I have learned in this past year that that was not the case. I always had love deep inside of me. It was there from my birth, it was there in the hardest of times, and it is present now in this moment, so much so that I overflow with it. I firmly believe that more than once in our adventures together love was the currency that bought us more time together. It saved lives. It prevented the destruction of Endake. But most importantly, it wrapped you and I up when we were lost. It helped us find this amazing group of people with us today who will honor and cherish you and I as individuals and as a partnership. And this is what we are, a partnership. I look out for you. You look out for me. And so many nights we have spent together putting more of our love into our savings and for those big moments, for when we needed to ask the gods and even the precepts for help. Yet all of the wealth of Andake means nothing compared to what we share. We give, we take, we borrow, we share, we hope. The hope we have, the dreams of the future, this is what makes us rich. And I... Vasanti Nakshurzo, take you, Rev, to be my wife and partner always. You have changed me for the better. 
You have saved my life beyond just my heartbeat. You will always be the greatest love story I've ever known. <laughs> I might be biased, but you understand my meaning. So I want you to have this. And um, Fasanti pulls out from her satchel something that's wrapped in almost like a paper-like substance. And um, I think on one of the melt crates, there's like a, there's some candles decorating, decorating the altar. And she puts the package over the flame and it like flash paper just whoosh. And within it, um, there is a necklace. And the pendant on the necklace is a coin and a raven's feather sort of uh, imprinted onto each other. And on one side of the coin, it says, in order to become the sky, and then you flip to the other side, we must push our roots deep into the dirt. She faces Rev and she undoes the clasp and she reaches up. I'm sure Rev has to slightly bend down just a little bit so that Vasanti can clasp it behind her neck and she lays it properly on Rev. By setting our roots down together, to intertwine with one another, we can become the sky above our heads full of stars and the wishes of every Andalkan who has ever looked up and wondered about the possibilities. I love you, Rev. I love you too, Vasanti. She looks down at this necklace you've given her, her eyes shining, and her thumb runs over the feather, and she says, Death. And then her fingers cup the coin, and she says, And taxes. You know what they say about that, right? I love you. Squeak raises her little stubby arms into the air again and starts clapping, uh, gesturing for the audience to start clapping again, and then she makes the silence noise once more. That was beautiful. And we see that she's sobbing. Like Squeak is full face sobbing. Like her, in the entire front of her body is just wet with tears. And for once we see that she's like slick and she sniffles and daubs at her nose and says, okay, well, because this is a union amongst four people from various homes, this is a wonderful opportunity that I open a door for all of you to bring your own rituals here. So, Abiku and Vasanti, I ask the two of you now, what wedding ritual do you bring from your home to enact here? Um, Vasanti brings out three candles and she lights them. One is a red candle and it's for her represents the past. And... Then there's a purple candle, which represents the now, and then a green candle, which represents the future. And she lights them all. And as the wax begins to like drip down all of them, I think she sort of, she, she takes the melting wax and on like a piece of parchment paper, almost like chore not like calligraphy, sort of makes a, a, a symbol in, we'll go with Chulong, of, of like love, the heart, something of that nature, something that you just see it and you can feel that it means love. And then she asks Rev to add to it using the melted wax and such to spill it all over the page. Rev does, does exactly that. She takes the melted wax and joins her calligraphy with yours. 
And I think when like this paper is just full of both of your writings from these bleeding candles of past, present, and future, right? There's like a canvas of your story from the past, from the present, and what you hope for the future as well. And Rev smiles at you, her face still shining with her tears of joy and happiness. She reaches into her black feathered cape and pulls out two pouches. This is a wedding ritual from the court. I was never able to do with Leaf. Here. She hands you a pouch, and when you take it, you feel that it's heavy and it smells earthy. And she holds her own pouch, and she opens it up. And in both of the pouches, you see grave dirt. Soil. The pouch I gave you, Vasanti, is soil from Jukai, and a little bit too long. Where you're from. And the soil that I hold is from the court. From the shores of the Black Tongue. From underneath the roots of Black Spire. It's a ritual for court denizens who are betrothed to each other to sprinkle this dirt over the place in Indake where we wish to die together. Zanti looks at it and I think just starts to cry. And I would like nothing more than to put this dirt in a place where you and I could spend the rest of eternity looking over Endake from. Me too. We live together, we die together, Vasanti. And she pulls you in. And we pan over now to a biku. What wedding ritual do you bring from your home? A biku is holding out a finger. Uh, well, well, Santina were doing the thing. It's like, one, one sec, they'll be here. Uh, and a little sparrow lands. And she takes a strand of her hair and she takes a strand of Shunyi's hair and she ties it around the sparrow's, like, foot. They have feet. Birds have feet. <laughs> and she gestures for Takchoa to bring a censor. Uh, like, you know, you know, everybody. Not like a, not like a censorship bar. Um... And then she lights it. So it's a little bit now that like we like know the gods, you know, but it is it is hopefully to let them know of our love. Um, we will cleanse the bird in the sense of you. I, I have already I, I lit it before, um, but I invite you, my love and you, my love and justice to talk and, and all of you to come please add a Add a flame to the ascensor. You are all important in this. And then we all send the bird off to to the guy. Again, it's weird because like we like know we like talk to them, but I please just indulge me. <laughs> I'd almost forgotten about this ritual. Ten thousand years old it is. All right, everyone. You heard my wife. Well, soon to be wife. Line up. Uh, and I think, like, all of you, like, line up and you light a flame for the sparrow and, like, the light within the sensor gets brighter and brighter until eventually Abiku, yes, you and Shrini together send the bird off with everyone's wishes for your love, for your future, for your union. And, like, as that sparrow, I think, vanishes off into the gap between stars, like, past the horizon of the Badlands, Shrini turns back to you, Abiku and says, there is a ritual I'd like to bring as well. It's one that I was working on 
know, before we died the first time. It's a special one. It's not from any of the orders. It's not from any of the kingdoms or queendoms. It's, well, one of my own design that I hope maybe we would be the first to do. As a step into the future of Titans. And she holds out her hands to you, uh, each arm outstretched, and says, Do you trust me? Of course. And as you place your hands in hers, she closes her eyes and breathes in deeply. And all of you feel the weave tense between Abiku and Shrini as it warps and sings uh, and spins around their forms. And Abiku, you fully trust her. You sink into it. And both Abiku and Shrini glow with this like bright lavender and orange light that melds together and boom, when the light comes down, we see that I think upon your form, Abiku, there are aspects of draconic transformation as Shrini has given you some of her magic and tied it into your soul and you have done the same to her. So if it's okay with you, Abiku, like what aspects of that draconic form are on you now? Oh my god. Uh I think it's the the gold that were, like her golden freckles are like like purple scales now. Um and I think the cloud that's a, the cloud on my face and the cloud on Shinee's face that I gave her like also is now purple. I love that. And what aspect of your own gigantic magic and transformation now appears on Shrini? Oh god, Akami. You can't just be like <laughs> uh, Oh my god. Um she had tattoos before. Mm-hmm. Um I think her tattoo I think one arm of tattoos now are like whirling clouds um and then one are still like from her draconic order and she's like four inches taller (laughs) gave her a permanent height bump i love that yeah as the light settles down all of you see abiku and shrini transformed in little ways each of themselves forever intertwined with the other in body mind and soul and as we pull out back against these like two couples at the front of this altar Squeak smiles and claps and says, You may now kiss the boy. Abikus is messy. Uh, don't look at her. Look away. <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> and I think like little like confetti is thrown rose petals, right? And Kane can't help but like press and digitate it. So it's like a little bit more fancy than just rose petals and little bits of confetti. Uh, and like... The confetti like flutters across the front of the screen. And as the applause and the cheering and the kissing starts to die down at this altar, all of you, every single person in Shepherd's front yard feels it. The weave pulling and flowing, tightening and loosening, and then all of you sense it. All of you sense it. The beyond. A presence as infinite as the sky opening up above your heads to peer into the now. 
The countless stars above Shepherd's homestead burn bright, bright, bright with pure, radiant, divine fire and all of you, every paragon, every keeper, you feel your god shards sing in the direction of the heavens. And you know instinctively that the eight are beckoning their broken pieces home. But instead of levitating up and out of the soles of their paragons, instead of spinning the threads that bind them to their keepers thin as they ascend, each and every god shard makes the same choice. And that choice, which rings through the interiors of each of your consciousnesses, is to stay. To stay and rebuild. To stay and witness the now bloom back into beauty. To stay until their champions, paragons and keepers alike, draw their last breath. Then, and only then, do the god shards swear to return to the beyond, their friends in tow, together. And so the beyond retreats, and so the stars dim just a little, and so the night sky glows its dark, radiant glow. And the wedding reception is gorgeous. We cut now to an hour later, midnight on the dot. The seating area has been cleared to form a grassy dance floor. And a wedding band plays on the teleportation dais, uh, forming an impromptu stone stage. People are dancing, people are crying, people are laughing, people are grieving. The sound of jubilation and tears fills the air in equal measure, and we find ourselves now at a table with a most peculiar seating arrangement. Sitlali, Mercy, Sybil, Gentle, Bud, Jaron. As we push in on this table that was no doubt organized by Squeak and or Kane, Sitlali, push it on your face. What do you say and or do? Sitlali is smoking a cigarette that they bumped from Oka that are just for nerves. And I think is mostly watching in mild terror uh, as their metamors uh, are all in the same place for the same time. Uh, I don't believe Mercy and Sybil have ever spoken. Nope. Um, Actually, Mercy's in the middle of like, sort of like leading on this like little table and like sort of like holding her bicep out. So it's like flex kind of taut. And Sybil's just sort of like stirring like a virgin martini and just sort of staring at her with like one head cocked to the side. And Mercy's going, yeah, you know uh, who died and came back to life? <clears throat> you know who that was? And she's sort of like moving her tunic down to like show off the marigolds on her chest. And Sybil just goes, I don't know, Mercy. Who? Me, bitch. Me. We pan back to you, Sibali. What is Gentle doing about all of this, Alamayo? Um, oh, Gentle is the best uh, at trying to shrink themselves down in this moment. It, this is a lot of personalities butting head to head. And honestly, I'm trying not to make it obvious I am here. I think Sitlali kicks you under the table um, 
like even if you're far enough away they make their leg long enough to kick you um because she can do that <laughs> and sends a message and is just like hey you good uh, yeah i mean i i'm on okay terms with everyone at this table but uh do you need help with mercy i think we can let her have it this once well she gets one and then i have to remind her that she used this to save me and jaron yeah, not tonight. Let her, let her, uh, get her maybe, maybe we'll get it. She'll get it out of her system. And, um, you know, she won't. This is, this is going right on the advertising. At some point, I will need to remind her who did the resurrecting. So, um, Sybil, uh, Sybil looks up from stirring this virgin martini and cocks an eyebrow in your way as, like, I think the cracks in their horns continue to vent this, like, magmatic steam. Yes, gentle. Um, I actually wanted to talk to you at some point, um, about, I guess, what happens after this, because I do have plans to go back to Dabathati to do a little bit of help, and I kind of wanted to talk to you, and also we can discuss, uh, co-parenting stuff, and I, like, scratch Bud's head. Yes, I would like that very much. And yeah. Sybil reaches forward and scratches Bud underneath the chin as well. And, like, Bud in the middle of this has been, like, doing big puppy dog eyes at, like, the little hors d'oeuvres that have been put out. Like, little cuts of meat, and they've just been, like, salivating, like, slowly and silently. And they let out a ha, ah, ah, ha, as, like, the I've two of you scratch them. Yeah, I've super been sneaking uh, Bud food, don't worry. <laughs> Not yeah. worry. Yeah, those are just. Bud is just being greedy here. Buddy's uh, Bud's just being greedy. It's uh, a wedding. It's a wedding. It's time to indulge. Exactly. Uh, and Sybil sort of like stops scratching uh, underneath Bud's chin and looks at you and says, "I really do mean it, gentle. That would. I'd really like that. And maybe you can give your input on my new zoo. Yeah, we can make sure it's as ethical as possible. Sure. I mean, yes. Let's do that." Uh, and I think at this point uh, of the conversation, we're actually going to push it on uh, Jaron. You've just sort of been like party here to all of this. I think maybe you're seated kind of close to sit Lolly. What do you do? Yeah, I think if it's okay with you, actually, I think maybe, and if it's okay with you as well, see, I think maybe uh, up until now, Jaron had been dancing with Oka on the dance floor. And as the song ends, Jaron kind of like twirls Oka once and like into uh, Kane's arms as they say, uh, I'm going to go and uh, see what everybody else is up to. And they go looking for their seat because they don't actually know yet where they've been seated. And they're kind of like looking at all of the different tables at the like little name cards that whoever put this together, Squeak or Kane, um, put out. And eventually they find theirs. And at first they don't even think anything about it. He sits down because he's, I think, seated probably in between like Sitlali and Gentle, which makes sense to him. So he sits down um, and as he sits down, he looks up and he realizes there's Mercy and there's Sybil. And they just kind of like lean over to Sitlali. Who put this together? I don't know, but that would be my polycule. So it makes sense. And Jaron just kind of like, does the mental math of Mercy, Sybil, Gentle, and them. And I think they, still leaning into Sitlali, they kind of like cough a little bit and like nervously, and they uh, turn to like look at Sitlali 
quite the polycule you've got here. I... I've been meaning to ask you, actually, um, what are you planning on doing after all of this is done? After today? Well, uh, I did promise Mercy a, a wedding on her deathbed, technically, so I guess we'll be doing that at some point. Um, she did request Bacchanalia Beach, so a trip to Nabal is in order. And I think so, all they kind of side-eyes Kane at this, uh... Uh, um, but other than that, um, we hadn't really talked about it. I don't really, there's a lot of, uh, moving parts. Moving parts. Yeah. Those parts don't happen to involve me at all, do they? Did you want them to? If you... If you want me to be there, I would love to. I guess we've come a long way since that uh, time in the tent, huh? <laughs> I never actually properly apologized to you for that, I don't think, actually. I am sorry for that, Sitlali, for not choosing you then. It was foolish of me, really. I mean... It's not like I can blame you. It's fine. It's in the past. It's, um... No, Sitlali. And Jaron, I think, lifts their hand to hold on to Sitlali's chin very softly to study them. You don't have to downplay how you felt about what happened. You're allowed to be upset. You're allowed to say it was a shitty thing to do, because it was. But... I didn't choose you then. But I want to choose you now, if you'll let me. I can probably get Mercy to let you back into the hounds, and they just kiss you. And Jaron kisses Sitlali back. Yeah, yeah, I think, like, on this kiss, we, like, pull away from this table. Uh, by the way, every other aspect of the Sitlali kill is also at this table, witnessing this conversation and this kiss. Uh, we, we pull away from the Sitlali kill uh, to find, I think, Oka. On the dance floor, uh, having been left by Jaron, you're dancing with Kane, who's currently, like, embroiling you in a kind of intense tango uh, that's, like, causing the people on the dais, the wedding band, to, like, match the tempo of, like, Kane, and they're just being kind of flamboyant and, like, spinning you around and just having fun with you, right? Uh, as the two of you are dancing and uh, laughing in each other's arms. And I think, Abiku, this is when you approach... Uh, Abiku is not polite. I don't know if you've caught on to that yet. Um, she does her best and just kind of like, Oka, hello. I don't know if I've met you. Oh, hello, Abiku. I have heard many a splendid, illuminating thing about you. Reborn from the Lovely. Past of your war. Thank you for coming. Oka, if I could talk to you for a moment. <laughs> yeah, uh, love, don't let it go. I did get all in. of my magic back. Deep breath in. Came. Deep breath in. I've changed. I've changed. I've changed. changed. I don't kill anymore. You're so I've changed. Beautiful. I've changed. I don't kill You could try. Because that's what <laughs> <laughs> And Kane's like tail swishes and they smile as they open their eyes at you, Abiku, and they graciously exit. Who is that? And Oka follows Abiku. Uh, that's my partner, Kane, the champion of Nabal. Oh. 
I don't think I've been there, so okay, I'll just believe you. Maybe we can go. That would be nice. Um, how are you doing? It's been a long... I don't know if it's been one day anymore, I'll be honest. We went through like 16 realities or something when they were fighting. Yeah. I kind of feel like I've been through 16 realities. And I think Oka's hair is like streaked with black gore from Jaron monster, is streaked with their own blood, and is streaked with like soul blood that's silver in their hair. Um, and it's making this like weird effect down their braid where it looks like it's kind of been painted on. Um, but they look up at Abiku and in like one of their eyes that's always constantly changing, it like mirrors hers for a moment. So it's like bright gold uh, and shining. And they look up at her and they smile. Considering everything, I think I'm going to be okay. That is good. I... You did it, no? We, you kept your promise. I am here. And you kept your promise. Well, I always keep my promises. I didn't know your track record, so... I do my best. Uh, I might have let Shuhai down, but I think... I think they'll forgive me. Well, if they don't, that's their loss. Couldn't agree more. Um... When this is... When, like, the party and... Everyone starts to go home. Do you know where you will go? In a million different directions. All at once, probably. Oh, okay. Well, I was wondering, um, do you, are you good at, like, building things? I'm good at sword fighting and reading. Okay. But I could lift something, probably. I used to work in the mines. Okay, um... I just, I have this, I, want, I need to build a house. I don't need to build a house. I'm sure Shepard would let me stay here or something. But I want to build a house. But next to the house, I I have this idea to like, to give, to give back to people. Um, like, um, what's the word Shepard told? You, you called school. Abiku Ishtar. Mm-hmm. Let me make you one more promise. Mm-hmm. Whenever you need me, whenever you want my help with anything, just call my name or write me a letter or, or like actually contact me and I'll come and I'll help you. Oh, that is very sweet. Thank you. Um, the same for you. I, I, you are very important to me. Um, and I don't think I could have done all this without you. Without all of you, really. Everyone else, like, it seems busy. The table seems like a lot over there. Yeah, I, I, you could not pay me to go any closer than I am right now to that table. But I... When we are down in the chasm, and we have found Shuni, and when we were looking for the doctor... I, I, I don't know if I could have made it through all of this without you, Oka. Me neither. You gave me my whole heart, Ibiku. You promised, and you followed through. And I don't think I can ever really thank you for that. So I'll just do my best, and keep trying. The best is all any of us can do. And always remember, your best is enough. And Oka, I think, just hugs you 
uh, and they are so small compared to you that they like are just like at your midriff, and they just hug you really tight. Uh, Abiku hugs back. Um, I, I, would you like to hear some Shuni is? I, I am really good at like shooting and stuff, but like Shuni really likes to spar. They could probably tell you about old sparring techniques. You like to sword fight, so. <laughs> oh fuck yeah. Uh, and I'll take you over where Shini is to talk shop. Listen, listen, listen to people talk shop. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. Uh, and I think on that, uh, we pull away from Abiku and Oka going over to Shrinyi, right? Uh, we pan across this dance floor to find, I think, by the punch table, Vasca and Costas. Uh, Vasca, Costas has sort of uh, located you in the party and is sort of just like <laughs> excitedly yabbering in your ear. Like they've got like a little thing of punch, you know, in their hand and uh, their hood is completely down. Actually, even though it's so cold, they've shed their entire like huge, puffy, almost like morosen jacket to reveal their leather armor underneath and their full face, their full head and like their arms, right? And they've like taken off their van braces and their greaves to like expose skin. Right? Like the half icy and the half flesh part of their body just open in starlight for all to see. And Costas is kind of in the middle of saying, Yeah, so, um, you know, while you were busy taking on like three different precepts, I was, you know, wrestling an entropic beast by myself. And I, I, I kicked the shit out of it. <laughs> I did see that, Costas. I did see that, I promise. Good, because it, it definitely happened. I, I'm, I'm not joke, joking or lying. I know this sounds like I'm joking or lying or exaggerating, but it definitely occurred. <laughs> Costas, and I think she like reaches out a hand and like cups Costas's cheek. I know. I know. You were exceptionally brave. And, and I think she like holds Costas by the forms and like gives Costas a once-over, looks up and down, up and down, and smiles with a light smirk. I am also so proud of you. Look at all the burdens you shed. And just looks and gestures at Costas. Stop that. You're gonna make me blush on one side of my face. And you say that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> I, uh, for what it's worth, Vasca, I'm really proud of you too i mean for obviously for saving the world and all that but also you know i i can see how much you've come since strike team a began you know i you always struck me as someone so quick with a response with a story to fit any situation but whenever it got to you i mean things would get pretty icy so i'm proud of you for opening up i guess and in the process you know showing me that it's okay to open up too Looks like Strike Team A was a match made in heaven, it seems, huh? Yeah. So we all needed each other. <laughs> I think we did. I think we found each other at the perfect time. Speaking of which, Abiku, hey! Get over here! Strike Team A reunion! By the punch bowl! I'm, I think she gets yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, Akasis is waving, like, wildly. Abiku, I think, like, as you, like, come over from where you yeah. introduced, like, Oga and Trini again. Hey, hey, hey! hey. We're just uh, catching up, reminiscing about you know, everything we've been through. Isn't it wild? I mean, the past year, so much has happened, and look at us. I'm shocked we never made out. Huh? 
I'm just saying, we got close like a lot of times. Uh, <laughs> did you want, uh, I mean, it's your wedding. So, I mean, that's inappropriate, right? That's not, we shouldn't. I mean, I, Abiku seems to be the one putting it on the table. <laughs> <laughs> like I, and like Vasca's just there, like smirking because like she's looking at Costas and the peak. You got to not make it weird. Every time I say it, you make it weird. Wait, it's because I thought it was being weird. I, I, Abiku, I, I am. I would love. I want to do. I do want to do. That's not a word. Mm-hmm. I did want to, and mm-hmm. I think a, a part of me does still. But I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, and Costas looks back at you, Vasca. All this talk about the world ending and the world literally ending and then us saving it, I, you know, in this part of my face, this part of my heart. Vasca, could you maybe, you know, when all this is done and the rebuilding, you know, gets off to a good start, do you think you could help me, um, apologize to a witch? Vasca reaches out a hand to hold Costas's and holds it tight. Whenever you are ready to take that step, I will be there. That means the world to me, coming from you. So, uh, Ishtar, I guess you don't get to kiss this hot thing. Uh, Abiku kisses Costas on the forehead. (laughs) You have grown up a lot. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, whatever. Bye. Uh, And Costas just sort of, I think, like, peels off. Like into the dance floor area. Uh, Abiku looks at Vaska. It is just so easy to mess with them. I don't know. It's just fun. <laughs> it is. It is. And you delight so much in it. Uh, I have a question. How is Costas dancing on the dance floor? This is very important for science. <laughs> violently. <laughs> dancing violently on the dance floor. What Kane is nodding mean? in approval. <laughs> <laughs> they're fucking, they're moshing. They're like, you know, dancing at like a rave. You know what I mean? Everybody's dancing nicely. God says, open up this pit. Fucking literally. And I think unlike Haas is trying to open up this pit, uh, we pan across this dance floor, across the punch bowl, across this loudly cool table uh, to find Dewey. Dewey, how are you enjoying the festivities, the dancing, the drinking, the eating? I think Dewey has been uh, enjoying himself with the food uh, and has sort of sat himself now um, at an empty table uh, adjacent to the dance floor and is uh, cheering on people who are dancing, which um, his attention now goes to Costas because of uh, the spectacle that he's making. and he's just sort of like clapping along and watching in amusement uh, and just sitting there um, delighting in his friends, enjoying themselves. I love that. Oh, you're like clapping along and laughing, enjoying the, veg- the vegetarian skewers that Shepard has prepared. And then I think you feel a presence like draw up to the table and sit down next to you. And it's Tonga. Uh, and she has her perennially present goggles like pushed up on her forehead all the time, right? And um, her hair is in those like uh, two fluffy buns, right? And her dark skin is gleaming under the glittering light of the stars above. And her eyes are full of tears, but she's smiling as she looks at you. <laughs> hey, Dewey. Tonga, uh, sorry, I didn't see you earlier. Uh, how, oh. how have you been? 
Oh, no, that's fine. I was, you know, just uh, using this automaton I'd built to fight off the empty beasts while you were saving the literal universe. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm well, I'm well. Uh, Xiaohu is well. Oh, looks like Xiaohu has joined Costas. And I guess he turned to look, you see like uh, a mosh pit is growing as Xiaohu has joined and they're literally just beating the shit out of each other but having so much fun uh, in the middle of the dance floor. Uh, I am not surprised at all uh, uh, about this, what is happening here <laughs> on the dance floor and also that you were uh, kicking ass out there um, on the battlefield. Thank you. I mean, speaking of kicking ass, I mean, look at look at you, look at, look at you, Dewey. You've come so far. I mean, your mind has always been brilliant. I've always known that. I mean, I've always, I mean, like noticed that about you, like how smart you are uh, and everything. You know, and I've always seen just how good of a, a, of a person you are, Dewey. And I'm so glad the entire world got to see that on that stage and can feel that now. I, oh, I wouldn't say, uh, you know, famous, not for me. Uh, just trying to make everyone proud, you know? I think you're doing a great job of doing that. And, um, for no reason in particular, Doobie, would you care to join me in a stroll about the garden? Sorry, I don't know where that voice came from. I'm just, it's would you like to join me on a walk? Uh, yes. Now I'm a little bit. Uh, what? What was that voice? Don't, you it's, not, it's not. It's nothing. It's not. Don't. I've. I've been hanging around Kane too much. It's. I do all the paperwork. Anyway, it's the championship. That doesn't matter. No work. Work talk. We leave it in the ball. <laughs> I. I do hope uh, Dewey gets up and starts walking. I do hope they're not saddling you with uh, everything. No, um, no, no, no. I, I volunteer for it. And they actually, they pay me quite well. It's just, they're very focused on big picture and Xiaohu is focused on medium picture. And I guess I focus on like minuscule picture. You've always been the one to keep things running smoothly. <laughs> Thank you. Unfortunately, I wish that meant, you know, running smoothly, like greasing gears and working on robots and less making sure Kane's tax returns are legal and above board. Yeah. Uh, don't forget to take time for yourself. Uh, I'm sure a couple of, I'm sure a couple of tax returns here and there um, will get filed somehow. Oh, everything got so fucked up under bloodthirst. Anyway, I mean, in Atalanta wasn't much of a tax woman. Uh, God bless her heart, but she just wasn't. Uh, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, come along now, car do Dewey Quirk. <laughs> Don't, don't do this voice. <laughs> and like Tonga laughs as she like uh, leads you, I think, like around the front yard and um, deeper into the homestead. And as you're led away, Doobie, I think we pan across this sea of revelry to find Vasanti. I think um, throughout the night, Vasanti has been mostly with Reb, but then has also found you... At moments, you can see Vasanti has a dance with Lotus, who she has not gotten to actually spend any time with for quite a long time. Um, and then I think at one point, maybe uh, Vasanti finds an Oka, finds an Oka, and um, asks them for a dance. 
I think you find Oka arguing, not arguing, but uh, engaged in fierce debate with Shuri over the finer points of using a longsword versus just making your hand a claw to attack someone with. Um, and they're kind of embroiled in this when you ask them. And then they look at Shuri and they actually know that they're losing the argument. So they get up uh, and they take your hand um, and let you lead them onto the dance floor. Excellent. And I, I mean, at this point, it's like a, it's not something too fast or it's not quite a slow song, but something that they can just dance with and uh, having a good time. They get to actually laugh with each other. And um, I think Vasanti at one point looks at Oka and says, do you know how strange it is to have God shards inside of you when you no longer have any connection to the weave? No, I can't say I do. It is like... It is like you have little piece of shrapnel and soul where you still feel this weave, but the rest of you is nothing. So it's like this, this like little sliver in me of magic that I can't get rid of. I think you're mistaken, Visanti. It's not shards inside nothing. It's shards inside you. <laughs> you're not nothing. Visanti smiles at this. You're right. Uh, you're right. Uh, I have something to tell you. Go on. Remember when we first met and I was a very different person? Vasanti Nakshirzo. You have your guilty voice on. <laughs> well, let's just, let's just say I really, really, really was just waiting to rob you all so long ago. <laughs> As you're admitting to the crime now, finally, finally. There was no crime. I did not ever do it. I. Mm. There mm -hmm. were so many nights when we were traveling by foot in, you know, to Doctor Oluso's, where I was, I was like, oh, this would be the best time, but I never did it. I never did it. Why not, Vasantina shares it. Well, uh, you all started showing up for me, and you helped me and at first I was like well okay they helped me I should maybe do something nice like not to rob them for a little while but then you kept doing it and you kept doing it and I started helping you I rem in the carnival I could have left you all I could have walked away but I didn't I came back for you all thank you Isanti for you choosing all. love I Still do have to get you back for that time that you pricked my palm with sharp dagger and took my blood. That's what that it hurt. Yeah, and we're not gonna count the time that I definitely know that you stole at least half a day's worth of my rations, are we? No? You thought I wouldn't notice. You thought putting a little desert mouse in my bag would make me think that that thing ate all of my rations, really, Vasanti. How clever <laughs> you are. I literally have no idea what you're talking about. Is this like, is this like time where I accidentally gave Chrysalis all this connection into Dabathati without realizing it? Is this what we, is this? Don't get me started on that, Vasanti. I'm in a good mood. Well, <laughs> Vasanti, uh, laughter subsides. I, I do want to tell you, you are one of my first actual friends in very, very long time. And uh, I don't know what you're doing after this. I have some ideas of what I'm doing after this, but um, I please let's keep in touch and seeing each other. 
You're not getting away from me that easy, Vasanti. I'm tired of living people. You're stuck with me forever now, sorry. Forever long time, but it'll be even shorter feeling with you by my side as friend. Thank you for being my friend, Vasanti. And I think on that, uh, a little bit of time passes, right? Like midnight turns, maybe midnight 10, midnight 15. Uh, and on the dance floor, under this spackling light of a million winking stars, the night has never been so bright in eight months and eight years. That's where we find you, Vasca. You are dancing with so many of your friends who spin and pass you round and round and round the floor. I think we see you pass from Oka to Costas, who has finished thrashing, uh, to Agniku. <laughs> Uh, even over to Mercy, uh, just round and round and round. Uh, and eventually, I think in the midst of this revelry, you are passed to Shepard, whose blue-brown eyes glimmer at you under the deep purple shadows of midnight. Bosca, I think there's someone here who really wants to dance with you. <laughs> oh, pray tell who is this mysterious admirer whom I shall dance with. Maybe it's better if you just do. And Shepard twirls you forward and passes you off gently into a pair of familiar, warm, strong arms. You smell salt water, blade polish, cologne. And when you look up, you gaze into her face, into Atalanta's. I think Vasca in that moment is like surprised, her eyes widen as she kind of like collapses into the hold almost. And she looks up at Atlanta, taller than her, looks up at Atlanta and leans in. She says, and she just kind of like chuckles really shyly, like a schoolgirl, and says, Fancy seeing you here, champ. <laughs> <laughs> Fancy seeing you here, my sweet bandit crate. Is this a dream? What makes you say that? Are you not here I dancing with me? I'd like to think we are. Uh, Atalanta sort of, you know, takes your hands uh, in hers and guides you gently, like leading you through mm -hmm. what is now, I think, a slow kind of waltz from the wedding mm -hmm. band. Uh, and there's just like the smell of fairy lights and grilled vegetables and the shine of starlight flickering all around you. But I think the only thing you can really focus on is her. And she's looking down at you and her horns are reflecting the starlight and she's saying, you know, I've missed this. So have I. I... Many dance partners pale in comparison to you. It's odd to lead. <laughs> But you know, I've never been quite as good as you. It's okay. You lead very well. And that's what matters. And I think she like glances over at all of the lovers, all of the couples, especially the married ones whom we are celebrating tonight. Um, and very playfully looks at Alent and goes, were we ever going to have a wedding, do you think? Oh, now you're asking. <laughs> well, the answer is, of course, 
I mean, if that's something you wanted. I would have thrown the best, the brightest, the most luxurious party in all of Nabal. I would have put Cain to shame. <laughs> don't let them hear that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry. They won't. I'm thinking for our wedding, how about by the beach? Bacchanalia Beach? Many things happened there. Uh, That's true. We've sparred. That's true. We've danced. We've broken up with your ex there, and I oh. was in attendance. Maybe somewhere else then. How about a private wedding in our room? A private one. A very, very short guest list. <laughs> Just you and me. I think I'd like that. Time slot, eternity till we reunite with Oblivion once again. Sounds like a plan to me. I'll make sure to prepare the flowers. You can bring the food. I'll bring the f best that Rosso has to offer in delightful midnight snacks. I'll try to avoid Nibusa's quarter this time. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's changed since the last time we were there, but for superstition. <laughs> Under sake. Kane's championship, Atlanta, please. <laughs> uh, she laughs with you, right? And she pulls you in tight and you feel her firm, strong fingers on the small of your back as she pulls you in. And I think she goes, <laughs> remember this move? And she dips you gently and kisses you. <laughs> I think Vasca like giggles and chuckles and throughout the entire dance up to this point, they were, she was literally ears against Atalanta's chest, just holding each other in that closeness. And as she dips Vasca, she wraps her arms around Atalanta's neck and just reciprocates the kiss. And I think to everyone else who might have stolen a glance upon Vasca on this beautiful night, you see Vasca dancing on her own laughing to herself at jokes unheard and unspoken. And as we pan away from the scene, we find you, Dewey. Tonga has led you across the chicken coop all the way over, I think, one side of the homestead to find uh, that tall barn maybe a couple of dozen of feet away from the cottage, uh, near these fallow rows of vegetable beds, and under the glittering radiance of the midnight stars. Upon the darkly shining grass, you see a picnic, a blanket, candles, a little basket of jucan treats, berries, candies, salted seaweed, onigiri, and there's also a puzzle made of wooden blocks on the picnic, uh, an intricate and quite complicated one. And standing by this picnic blanket, almost a little nervously, but still composed, is Zephyr. And this falcon-like Aarakocra man is dressed in battered and bloodied cloth armor. Uh, his naginata is strung across his back, and you see that the blade of it is chipped in the middle. He also has a splinted wing, and one of his eyes is swollen shut with a nasty gash. Uh, but as soon as you see him and he sees you, his face lights up uh, like that gash isn't even there. 
Uh, and you also see kind of behind Zephyr, uh, putting the finishing touches on arranging these candles, uh, Oka. Uh, and as soon as you and Tonga approach, Oka like dives, I think into like some nearby bushes uh, where you also see like the midnight blue horns of a tiefling poking out of the bushes. Uh, and you feel like the weave jolt as Kane pulls on it to make the candle flames like burn low and like romantically, right? Uh, and then Oka and Kane like they quickly skitter, they skitter out of the way, uh, back to the dance floor. And it's just you and Tonga and Zephyr. And Tonga sort of squeezes your arm and smiles at you, and we see that her eyes are still brimming with tears, and she says, Well, enjoy. Hey, and do right by us. You better solve that puzzle faster than him. <laughs> and she, like, quickly turns and, like, you know, does one last wave and goes back to the dance floor. And it's just you and Zephyr. Uh, I would have asked if you did this all yourself during the wedding, but, um, seems like you had some help from my friend, so... Yes, I was very grateful to receive their assistance. Even though we disagreed artistically about the direction of the picnic blanket, I believe was the phrase used against me. But what do you think? I think it's perfect. Uh, what, what is all this? I don't know if you remember, but I certainly have. The promise I made to you after the stagnation back in Kinongbo. And I know this is probably a little too soon, but, well, I can't wait. Would you like to join me? I would love to. And Zephyr, like, pats a little, like, cushion, I think, on the blanket for you and, like, sits down on another cushion. Uh, Dewey sits down um, across from Zephyr. I think the picnic date is sweet and it's contained. And I think the two of you, we see the two of you like laughing and talking under the light of the midnight stars. Uh, you eat the little treats that Zephyr has set out. All of them are vegetarian and all of them taste very good. Uh, and then I think the two of you work on this puzzle together. It's kind of like a Jukon wooden like pulling block puzzle where you have to like slide the shapes in to like form a cohesive whole. And it's quite complicated. It's pretty challenging. But I think the two of you working together are able to like put the pieces in the right places uh, quite expediently. I think that there's a, a fair bit of like uh, Dewey going, wait, no, I think it's this block. And Zephyr's like, no. And their hands like reaching over each other and trying to get at the same piece. Um, but it, it turns out, it turns out fine. Uh, they solve the puzzle. Yes. yes, 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 the two of you do solve the puzzle. I think as the last piece clicks into place, um, your fingers touch on top of it, and you're like leaning over the blanket together and they're, they look up at you. And their eyes kind of like Tonga's are sort of shining with tears, but they're smiling. And they're very close to you. And Dewey hesitates um, for a moment and says, listen, I have to tell you something. <laughs> Anything. Just like this promise, uh, I made a promise to my sword. Did I tell you I have a sword, son? I have gathered bits and pieces. Um, so I can't stick around for much longer after this. I know. And you don't how you don't know how much I wish I could. Well, now I do. Well. 
I really want to, but I would be remiss as a gentleman if I didn't ask. May I kiss you, Dewey Quirk? I wish that you would. <laughs> and Zephyr smiles and leans in, and the two of you share a kiss. We push back into the dance floor, back under the glittering light of these stars as midnight ticks on to about one in the morning. And it's during this time, during this place, that we find you, gentle. I think we find you with Bud. And Bud is very tired. Uh, this is way past his usual bedtime, and his little, I think, like, direwolf chin is resting on your knee as you're perhaps uh, sat somewhere by a table, perhaps, uh, watching people still spinning and twirling and laughing and cutting rugs on the dance floor. Um, but Bud places that big ol' uh, fluffy white head on your knee, and then two little paws go up, uh, and they flick their big, like, glistening black eyes up at you, and they say, Gentle. I'm tired. Can you walk me to my bed? Yeah, of course. I'm a little tired myself. Uh, dancing takes a lot out of me. Yeah, did you see my moves on the dance floor? I barked, and I howled, and I woofed. Did um, you did even the little trot dance I taught you yeah, back when yeah, you were yeah 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 like real little yeah uh, and Bud hops off your knees actually with the last bit of their quickly dissipating energy they do a little trot dance uh, up down up down and they're so big now that like the table you're at shakes like with each trot that was the first trick I taught you let's let's go okay and Bud trots after you. They're huge now. I think they like come up to your mid chest easily. Uh, and they're sort of like brushed up against you, uh, nuzzling you as you uh, lead him to his bed. Um, Bud, you did a good job today. You did lots of crunching. You crunched all the bad guys. Yeah, yeah, I did. I think I still have some of their bones caught between my teeth. We'll get those cleaned out in the morning. Um, I just wanted to say, I, I love you, bud. Oh. And I think at the edge of the dance floor with the revelry, kind of like in the middle distance, next up to this little impromptu dog bed, I think that's been set up with like flattened hay and like cotton and wool lining the interior. Bud sits down on his haunches and looks at you. Gentle, I... I love you too. And I wanted to say thank you. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for coming back for me. Thank you for raising me, gentle, and thank you for being the best parent in the whole world. Gentle almost breaks down at that immediately. Um, and they, I think, sit down. Uh, they let their hair down, even. I remember when the cataclysm first happened, and I found you, and all the stars were gone. And one of the first things I wanted to show you was all of them all over again to tell you about each and every one and every story. I, I wanted to thank you as well. Um, because no matter how bad things got or how tough things got or how scary, or, I always kept going because I wanted to make sure I could show you the stars. Wow. You did all that for me? Of course. You 
people like to say that I give them hope. You were always the thing that gives me hope. I have to do it for you. I was always going to do it for you. Oh. Oh. And we see those, like, big black eyes reflecting the infinity of stars in the sky above. We see those eyes well up with tears. And Bud cries. And tears, I think, drip down his snout, you know, dribble past his teeth and plop onto the grass. And he gets up off of his haunches and nuzzles his head into your chest. Thank you, gentle. I... I'm so glad I met you. I'm really glad I met you. I'm really glad I saved your mom that time ago. I'm... I love you. You're you're my son and you're the best son in the world. Uh, Yeah, and Bud keeps nuzzling into you and like even tries to hug you, I think, with his front two paws. But then when he like gets back down, he just keeps nuzzling. And then he finally pulls back and says, I might not remember my first family, but I can feel all of that love in, in the love you show me. You're my family, gentle. Gentle and, and bud, Camellia. Camellia. Is that our name? Yep. I love it. It's perfect. What does it mean? It's the type. <laughs> it, you know how much I love tea. It's the type of leaves that I use for tea. And that's double perfect. Gentle Camellia. Bud Camellia. I love it. Me too. Um, Before you go to bed, I also wanted to make sure you had a special treat that I had saved for you. (gasps) And Gentle has like a small, like, adventuring pack uh, that has like a small, like, well-preserved, like, box uh, of some jerky that I specifically got from Sybil. Uh, because despite everything, I still reached out and wanted to know what was Gentle's favorite food they had there and made sure I knew how to make it and made an exact replica of the uh, recipe. Uh, Bud's ears immediately shoot up as soon as they see it and their nose twitches. It's for you. Oh, I can, I can have this? Yeah, you crunched the bad guys, you got a big reward. Uh, and Bud immediately goes in and just starts like snarfing down the jerky, like tearing into it, like gobble gobble, and it's gone. Like they just, they barely even chew. They just swallow and it's gone. Ah, wow, that tastes perfect. Just like how Sybil makes it. I asked them. They helped me. You're the best. Gentle Camellia. You're the best. Uh, if you don't mind, I kind of, can I take a nap with you? I'm also really tired, and weddings are kind of loud. They are really loud. Yeah, of course. Anytime. Here. Uh, and Bud sort of lies down and, like, forms a little bit of, like, a, a, a hole or, like, a little cuddle area by the soft fur of their belly and, like, forms a crescent shape. Gentle lays down, too. And Gentle, you lie down next to Bud... And Bud's, like, big tail, like, flops over, like, your front to, like, give you a little bit more warmth. Uh, and the two of you, I think, drift off 
into a very serene nap. And as we pull away from the scene, across the party, across the homestead, across the cottage, across the trying to roost chickens who are being kept up late by the wedding band, right, Coop? Uh, across uh, the various red rubble of the Badlands. And I think at the edge of the homestead, by the chasm, is where we find you, Jaron. I think Jaron has made his way over to where the lights of the homestead of this wedding party no longer touch. So it's darker here than it is anywhere else. And you can still hear very, very faintly in the background, the music, the laughing, the revelry of the wedding behind. And Jaron is sitting with their legs hanging over the edge of the chasm. They hand loom in their lap, working meticulously, slowly on a new tapestry starting to weave it together. And he's been here for some time, so I think that some of it is starting to form. And he's working very, very slowly. And as he does so, he looks up at the sky and sees the stars. And I think directly above Jaron is the constellation of Scott and Nectus. And it reminds them of the time that before the lover's embrace was dark, but now it's here, bright, visible, shining. And they put their hand loom to the side for a moment, and I think lay back, their braid kind of wildly coming undone as they do so on the ground, and they look up. And Jaron puts a hand to his chest and kind of pulls up. And as he does so, three different threads, I think, come out. Two, color of dark blood. One, a deep maroon. And Jaron pulls on that thread of deep maroon, the one that connects him to Scott and Nectus, as he looks up at these stars. And he talks quietly out loud to himself, to the stars, to Scott and Nectus. I don't know if you can hear me still. I can feel you, I think, but in the off chance that you can, I wanted to thank you for everything. I know that I've been the perhaps most ungrateful out of everybody this whole time. Blamed you for everything. All of you for everything. When really you were just trying to survive just like everybody else. And I want to thank you for choosing me. Even when I didn't deserve to be chosen. I want to thank you for not leaving me. And I want to thank you for saving everybody for saving the paragons saving yourselves saving me because without you none of us would be here without you Oka wouldn't be here I wouldn't be here Gentle wouldn't be here Sitlali none of us and I hope that you get exactly what you wanted 
after all of this. You're the gods, you have everything, but I want to ask, what is it that you want? Is there something that we can give you the way that you have given me my life, my heart? Streaking through the darkness of the sky is a shooting star. Your eyes travel it from east all the way across to west, a long, unbroken trail of pure light. And as soon as that shooting star winks out of sight beyond the western horizon, you feel a presence familiar and greater than anything you've experienced before. It wells up inside you, filling you up with light, radiance, a soft, warm love, and embrace the cold steel of a blade, the smell of ash felt on a gambling table, the sound of coins clinking against stone floor, music playing, swelling, strings drawing over strings, coins rattling once more, a lover's laugh, the touch of fingers against your cheek. And from the beyond, you don't hear this in words like the way the God Shard communicates, but you feel it in your soul, a communication that wells up from the bottom of your tail all the way up to the tip of your horn. And you get an answer from Skod and Nectus from the great beyond. And the answer is simple. What we want is for you to live, Jaron Cotter. For you to live your life fully on your own terms with your own choices, taking your own risks, reaping your own rewards. That's all we want. That's all we've ever wanted. And feeling this presence, I think Jaron holds out their hand out into the starry sky. They're not here, but they're here. And he reaches out both of his hands, one for Scott and one for Nectus. And you swear, Jaron, you feel something touch your hands back. And as we pan away from this 2 a.m. edge of the Euclid communing, we push, I think, into the witching hour, into three in the morning, to, I think, a different kind of communing, over to a different part of the wedding party to find Sitlali. I think Sitlali is looking for Vasca in this moment. Uh, I think, Sitlali, you find uh, Vasca like, sat down, exhausted from the, all the dancing. I think at one point she was dancing at Costas back again, and Costas was trying to teach her how to mosh. Uh, and she is so tired, uh, and she is sat on like one of the wonderful like uh, chairs that we've made shift uh, out of crates, and she's writing something uh, in a journal. 
I think Sitlali sits next to you, leans her cane kind of like across her knees. Working on a new piece. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, and I think you would catch probably Sitlali of all the insightful, high wisdom folks here. You would cat. You would see the title of that journal page: "My Wedding Vows." As she shuts the uh, journal closed and looks to you, I saw your table. Well, I don't know if it's my table. I mean, I suppose that it it feels presumptuous to call it mine. Um, <laughs> but I guess I am one of the uniting factors, technically. <laughs> I'd say so. I'd say so. And I mean, you are, um, you're, you're, you're mono- monogamous, right? That's. Yes, I am. Indeed. Cool. Yeah, I, I figured, but I just, you know, it's, it's not, I, it's, mm. so I, 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 I need your <laughs> advice. I need your advice. Certainly you have it if I, I feel I'm able to give it, yes. There's someone I need to... I don't know if let go of is the right word, but a chapter is different. Um, things are different and it's complicated and I mean, it's Rev and Abiku's wedding nights and I don't really know... Um, what do you say to a god who you might have outgrown? I think Vasca initially looks like very concerned because she thought that you were talking about like a person at the party and was going down a list of people in her head and was like knocking them out of possibilities. And then you said a god and she relaxes a little bit. Um, and she nods and she says... Well, I think you just say thank you for all the lessons that you've learned. Kind of just like, kind of like outgrowing an ex, I suppose. You thank them for the journey, for the lessons. And you move on to the next chapter. Yes? I don't know what... (laughs) the next chapter is yet really I mean I don't said Lali and Vasca like puts her journal aside onto the table and leans forward and if you so allow like hold your hand yeah (laughs) my dearest dearest Silali that's that's the best part of any story of any tale is not knowing for certain what comes next. You don't need a plan for everything. You don't need plan A to plan Z. You don't need a backup plan. You don't need to get stabbed again to go into the after. You could just embrace the journey. And I'm certain, and she leans back, still holding your hand, I'm certain the Raven Queen will understand. I like plans, like, a lot. I know. It's your whole thing, it feels like. <laughs> and I think Lolly's eyes kind of, like, rove over the... 
I, I hope that Costas is still moshing um, <laughs> by himself, uh, by themselves. Um, but I think Sitlali finds a Biku and just sends a message of, can I bother you for a second? What? Hello? Bosco waves at a Biku. <laughs> so a gestures. Yeah. Um, I hate to bother you on on your wedding night, Abiku. Um, do you do you, do you know um, if um, she's um, the the Raven Queen is um, around anywhere? Necessarily, I don't. Abiku kind of like thinks and like points to herself, and then points to Rev, and then points to Silver Eye and Black become like sitting on the, the roof of the homestead. I mean, y yes. Why did you need something? I think we need to talk. Oh, okay. Like, like you need to pray, or you need to like talk. Like talk. Oh, yes. You want to do it here? Or I. It's your life. Oh no, I don't need to die, Abiku. No, I. No, why? I meant like, do you want to do it here in front of everybody, or do you want to go somewhere private, or? Oh, I thought you were offering to kindly murder me so I could speak to my god. Um, no, unless it's what you wanted. It's no, really, that... Vasca, I heard Vasca say it really helps if you give me clear instructions. <laughs> I am literally the worst at being direct. Um, let's go, let's go. Sitlali just starts walking. <laughs> Vasca gets up, holds a Biku's hand and just like, like gently caresses it and goes, I'm so sorry. We'll figure this out together. Okay. I just, it helps if people are clear. You know that. I know. I know. I know, my dear. And we'll go and meet up with Salali. Uh, yeah, I'll go to wherever Salali leads us. Yeah, I think Salali goes to the sparring ground uh, where they spent so much time with Oka so long ago. Or at least it feels like so long ago. And I think they don't know, they, they're standing like a kid waiting to go to the principal's office. Like, she doesn't know what the fuck to do, or even though, you know. Okay, so I've never tried this before. So first time for everything, yeah. Um, uh, I hope it goes well. And out of Abiku's raven tattoo, these two wings come out. And she'll take a feather off one and, like, brush Sitlali's face if you allow her to. Um, and then she will blow it on the wind. My queen, um, one of your children wishes to speak with you. It's Sitlali. I don't know if you know that. Also, this is a biku. It helps to let people know who you are. If you so choose, I believe she has something important to say. Gods, I love that. Okay, yeah. Sitlali. I think you're standing there as that soft tickle of the feather moves across your jaw. I think your eyes flutter shut out of reverence. And you hear the whispering of feathers against feathers. You smell grave dirt drenched with water, with swamp, with moss and skulls. And you hear the brimming of bird song in a rib cage, in marrow, in bone. And when you open your eyes again, you are in the middle of the weave spun nest. And the Raven Queen, her god shard, 
is swirling all around you a flock of a hundred, a thousand crows, ravens coalescing into the form of a woman's silhouette and then bleeding into something else, a reaper with a hood drawn over a tattered form and then bleeding into a woman with hair as black as raven's feathers bleeding into the wings, leeching off of her arms and back into that moving, roving swarm of birds and her voice rings in your consciousness and says, Child. It is good to hear from you again. I have uh, spit in the face of your teachings in the most, uh, well, in ways that we didn't think possible. So um, I suppose if you'd like to offer a slap on the wrist for that, we should start there, yes? Sibali Goldheart, there is nothing any of my children could do that could make me hate them. Death welcomes all, life welcomes all. What you call sacrilege, I call your own form of worship. I don't, I didn't know anything other than you for so long. You were all that I had for so long. The only thing really, um, and now I have so much in my life that I care about. And I couldn't have done that without you. But I don't know if I'm your child anymore. I don't know what I am now. But I wanted to say that to you because you have meant everything to me my entire life. And I think Sitlali was kneeling, but I think they stand. I think I have misjudged you over and over again. I think everyone misjudges you and that must be so incredibly frustrating. And don't I know it, being misjudged my entire life, being asked to be something I was not my entire life. I could never quite figure it out how we fit so well, and yet we don't at the same time. So I don't know what, I don't know what the fuck I'm saying <laughs> to a god, but things will be different from now on. Sit lolly, Goldheart. Change is a beloved cousin of mine. The court of ravens worships the turning of the seasons, the turning of the great wheel, from spring to summer, from summer to fall, from fall to winter, and back to spring. You are a brand new shoot, and it is time for you to grow beyond spring. I love the children of the court who stay, and I love the new people who leave, too. The echo of the ghost of my brother, 
the Fox King, the lover of Sen. Through their love I see myself. Change is death. Death is change, and change is life, and life is death too. Sibali Goldheart. You of all understand that most. You call this perhaps a thank you and a farewell. I call this a goodbye for now, my friend. And I will see you soon. I am so very proud of you, of who you are, who you are becoming, and who you will always be meant to be. I love you so much, Sibali Goldheart. And my brother would have liked you a lot too, I think. So, I'll love you enough for the both of us until the end. I can't promise I won't resurrect anybody else between now and then, but you know, we'll see how it goes. And with another flutter of wings, I think you see this moving cloud of ravens approach you and hold you. They like swarm past you, around you, under you, above you, through you, gently as an embrace, as a promise, as a light on a porch in the dark, waiting for you to come home when you're ready. And when you open your eyes again, Sitlali, you're back in the now. And on that, we pan to the fringes of this party as the hour grows ever more late. Three in the morning turning slowly, lovingly, to four. And in the deepening shadows of this yawning hour, we find you, Oka. Starlight illuminates a now-empty dance floor. We smell perfume, the sweet aroma of sweet drinks, and the final bitter fizzle of gunpowder from a dazzling firework display that Squeak and Mercy had fired off not mere hours ago. Here. Within this unoccupied reception area, whilst everyone else has gone to bed, we find two figures slow dancing together upon the tilled earth. Oka, your blood halos swirl in this lazy crimson circle behind your head as you hold Shepherd. In the deepening shadows of this ever-late hour, their black hair is almost purple with how dark it is here, this streak of white running through their short tresses like a strobe of lightning through a storm-tossed sea. Their eyes, both of them a warm brown and a dazzling blue hue, gaze up at you through the lens of their glasses with such deep reverence. His tattooed fingers are intertwined with your own slate-gray hands. His chest is pressed against your chest. She smells like wood smoke, green tea, and something new. A third scent, an unfamiliar yet familiar one all at once. Charcoal. What do you do? By this 
point in the night, I think Oka is just kind of swaying back and forth. Dancing is, I think, the wrong way to put it. Not that they were ever a spectacular dancer to begin with. But as they're just kind of swaying there, their chest pressed to shepherds, their forehead pressed to shepherds, their hands pressed to shepherds, they just let the body move back and forth, back and forth. The pad of their thumb tracing over her fingers, over that ring, the halo of blood that is now wrapped around her finger, wrapped around their finger, wrapped around their fingers together. And they just look down at her like they've been doing for the whole night, almost shy, but not shy enough to stay away. Uh Pardon the potential pun, Oka, but do I feel as a stranger to you at all? Oka smiles a little bit, considering it. No. Did I feel as a stranger to you in Jukai? No. Then no. I <laughs> I mean, I feel like I... Even the first time at your homestead, I didn't even feel like you were a stranger then, either. Not really. Oka, you are the one point of familiarity in this vast void of strangeness that I now find myself swirling within. I... I am me. I have always been me. I will be me. Shepherd. 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 I've always meant to be this. But I'm still... I don't know. It's still... Scary? Everyone else feels familiar to me, but I don't feel familiar to myself. (laughs) I... You sound like me. I sound like you. We sound like each other. That's all I mean. It's okay. Being is scary. Especially when, for the first time, we're letting ourselves really be. I don't really know who I'm supposed to be outside of... outside of this. Outside of today. Where I go from here. But I do know that wherever it is that I go, I want you to be there. In all your forms. In every iteration. And they kind of like pass their hands through her hair. With every haircut. (laughs) I don't know where my hair went. I think a precept took my hair. I think a god took my clothes. change. It really is so painful, isn't it, Oka? So painful and beautiful. I'm a little excited. I'm a little scared. I'm a lot unsure about what the future holds, but as long as you're here, maybe it will be okay. No. It will be okay. If I've learned anything... (laughs) From the last eight hours, 16 hours, 
16 days, however long it's been, eight years. We can do anything when we're among friends, when we're among the people we care about. That's what matters. Friends, the people who matter, the people we care about, and a kind of bittersweet, somber shadow falls over Shepard's face, which was illuminated by the starlight, and now it kind of goes dark, just for a second, as they seem to be considering something, as they seem to be hung up on a kind of sadness? No, it's deeper than sadness, it's much deeper. If sadness is a mere wound on the surface of your flesh, then whatever this emotion is, is a deep scar. And Shepard says, Dr. Aluso wasn't the only thing Oblivion made, Uka. Oblivion also made a poem. They, I, never shared it with you, with anyone, because it was a poem of grief, of despair, of that feeling you know too well. Rage. Blessed be the dull, for they have no mind to doubt. Blessed be the cruel, for they have no heart to vow. Blessed be the weak, for they have no teeth to gouge. Blessed be the empty, for we have no soul to shroud. I was lost and afraid, alone and in pain, and then I... I met Shuhai. I met you. I met all of you. I found who I was, who I've always been, who I'll be until there is no until. And I think I am happy to be me, but I am also sad for the parts of me that needed to die, to become who I am now, to become Shepard. Oblivion, Dr. Aluso. I think I miss them. I grieve them. Do you grieve, Mikoya? Yes. Daily. In every passing moment, I grieve every future that didn't come to pass. Every iteration of myself that isn't, wasn't, never will be, could be, but isn't. A less broken me. A more broken me. But death is not the end. And mourning someone doesn't mean that they're not with you still. I will always love Hitsakata Luso. And I will always love Oblivion. And when it's my time to go, I will see them both again. And you'll be with me. And I will always love you, Shepard. I don't know much about being Shepard yet, but I do know that I will always love you too, Oka. 
I don't know much about loving, Shepard, yet. But share with me your heartless heart, and I will carry it to the ends of the earth. Of every earth. Of every iteration. Of reality. Of living. Of dying. I will be with you. If you'll have me. Forever. Until the end. Part 3 Death At 7.30 in the morning, on Hair 17, Andake prepares for her first sunrise since the world ended. The eight of you wait on Shepard's porch. The revelries of last night's wedding strewn about the yard. We see toppled benches, overturned milk crates, streamers and bunting and fairy lights littering the grass. Against all odds, a single training dummy still stands against a wooden fence post. The chickens are finally beginning to stir in their nests, clucking softly, blinking their eyes open against a lightening horizon. The sky is still dark, but starting to turn bit by bit, pink, like a god's hand cupped over a divine flame. Everyone's here. All the paragons, all the keepers, all of your friends, all of your family. Sprawling before you is the rugged red rock of the Badlands. Rock that hasn't been kissed by Galtanger in over a year. Rock dappled white from the ash of war. The Badlands, where everything began, where everything now ends. Once upon a time, there was a sword. It was made by an inventor to protect him as he traveled the realm looking for the right way to come home. One day, through unexpected and magical means, the sword gained a mind, a soul. And thus, Dusty was born. Dusty lived a strange non-life. He knew only three things. One, he was a sword. Two, there was a world out there he couldn't explore on his own. And three, he had a father. And as a year passed, Dusty learned what it meant to love a father and to be loved by a father. And when fate tried to fulfill her own doom by killing the Paragon so they would die protecting Andake, Dewey made Dusty a promise that one day, he would make his son proud. One day, he would give his son a blessing. A blessing of choice so they could make their own decisions. A blessing of agency so they could have their own body. A blessing of freedom so they could choose what it meant to be a person on their own terms in their own way. And that day is now. Dewey. Stepping off the porch, 
is Rev. She places a hand on your shoulder and looks at you with shining black and gold eyes. Her eyes, Dewey, are so sad, and her smile is so happy. And Rev says to you, You have the Raven Queen's blessing, my friend. And you have mine too. You've taught me that being strong isn't always about the physical. It's about doing what needs to be done for the people you love. And you're doing just that. I was wrong about you, Dewey. You're the bravest of us all. And as Rev lowers her hand and steps back, I now ask the eight of you, what are your last words to Dewey Quirk? Starting with Abiku. Oh, uh, I, I walk up to Dewey. Um, I don't know if you remember the, not the first time we met, but the first time we traveled together when we were in, we were going through the, the Euclidean chasm. Um, you told me that you had a family and you hoped you could make them proud one day and that you were worried about what they thought of you, but I want you to know, Dewey Quirk, that you are a very good person and a very good friend and a very good parent. Um, I hope I can be like you one day. I hope I can make people proud and have a family to raise of my own. You are... The smartest person I've met in this life or the one I had before. And you've inspired me to help people the way you have helped us. I will miss you, but I mean, I know one day in our own way, I will see you again. Um, and then if Dewey allows, Sabiku will hug you. And I think we pan now over to Voska. Voska's crying, and for the first time, she doesn't allow it to freeze and turn to ice. She just lets it go. And if Dewey so allows it, she kind of just falls into a hug into you. And she holds you. She tries to crack a joke. I'm sorry I made you invisible that one time and no one saw how cool you were. <laughs> and she like looks at you finally pulling away from the hug and looks you in the eye through her eyes filled with tears. I am proud and privileged to have been your friend your comrade, and your Gutian teacher. Thank you for showing me that life is more than just making mistakes. <laughs> making up for those mistakes. Thank you for showing me that what unconditional love looks like. And I hope <laughs> I can teach you how to play the G note better in our next life. Oh, who knows? Maybe you'd be my teacher. 
I think Vasco would give Dewey one last tight hug and step away. We pan now over to Gentle. The day we first met, I asked you if you wanted to be friends. And I know <laughs> things were kind of tough for you then. But I never stopped considering us friends. You cared about my friends. I cared about yours. We didn't get to travel or adventure together, but we helped save the world all the same. And every time I was always in awe of the things you could do and in awe of your parent, the ability to be a good parent. And all I have to say is from one parent to another, I'm incredibly proud of you. And I do the same thing. And I just want to make sure I can help Dusty as well. And gentle, uh, if Dewey allows, we'll give a small hug and offer you one cup of tea for the road. We pan now over to Sitlali. I think Sitlali is short about it. Um, and just kind of barrels over and like, if Dewey will allow it, throws their arms like around his neck in a hug and just very quietly so only Dewey can hear. I always kind of thought the cargo shorts were cool. The pants of holding are great and I think they work really well for me, but the cargo shorts were perfect for you. Hana and Uolani will always have my magic and my blade. That is a promise that I am making to you. And she gives you a squeeze. And let's go. And then we pan now over to Jaron. <laughs> Do we when we met? <laughs> we met over a silly idea. Or an idea that everybody else thought was silly. A god jar to keep the souls of the paragons to protect them and to keep them safe and alive. But I didn't see a silly idea back then. I saw brilliance. I saw genius in you. The way that I see it now, the way I've always seen it. You've been a great business partner, but beyond that, you've been a great friend to me. And for that, I am forever grateful. And I don't know what your plans are with Dusty, but they will always have their Uncle Jaron, if you so want, if you so choose. I will make sure that they are safe and happy and that they remember you. Because I will never forget you. <laughs> and I guess now, <laughs> I guess this makes me the sole owner of Godjar LLC. I'm not really sure how to run a company by myself, to be honest. <laughs> and I think Jaron <laughs> hugs Dewey really, really tightly. I'm going to miss you so much. Wait for me, okay? 
And now we pan over to Oka. Oka steps forward and they're kind of um, fiddling with something in their hands. Uh, it's a pair of <laughs> gold rim glasses that have a crack in the frame that look like they've been repaired with bone dust and blood. And they step forward and they look down at Dewey and they smile and they say, pretty good for a couple monsters, right? Uh, and they slip the glasses into his jar, I think. They just put it in the jar. They go, oh, for later, in case you break that pair. And then if it's okay, I think they... I think they hold out their arms for Manaya and for Visanti. Visanti um, walks over with... Um, she kneels kind of beside Dewey first and looks at him in the eyes and says, I have so much I wish I could tell you, Dewey, but I know our time is short. I know it hasn't always been easy between us, but I am so incredibly grateful for our time together. Thank you for showing me what a good father actually looks like. Even when I know it was hard and you didn't want to, I know you showed up. Even when you had a mess to clean up with your children, you showed up eventually and you fixed it. You did everything in your power to fix it. I will do everything in my power to help raise Hana and help with Dusty, and I will do everything to make sure that people remember the bravest and most intelligent scientists Andake has ever known. I'm going to miss you so much, friend. And I love you. Vasanti joins with Oka, Dewey, Manaya. As the four of you hug, stepping forward off the porch are two more people. Uilani, her face shining with tears, her eyes brimming with it, but she's smiling at you, Dewey. For the first time in so long, Uilani is smiling at you. And next to her is Hana. And Hana steps forward. She's doing her best to smile, doing her best to put on a brave face. But as soon as she looks at you, as soon as you break apart from Manaya and Oka and Visanti, that smile wavers and it cracks. And she starts crying. But through her tears, she's still smiling. And she just wordlessly flings herself forward and hugs you. Your daughter hugs you so tight. She doesn't want to let go. Like she knows this is the last time. And she says into your ear, I love you, dad. I'm gonna miss you. I miss you so much too. I just... I hope I made you proud while I could. Did. 
And I hope that I'll lead a life that will make you proud too. And in Uhan, um, Dewey says to her, this is a goodbye. Just see you later. You promise? I promise. Okay. I love you, Dad. I love you so much. And stepping forward into the early dawn light that hasn't quite cracked the horizon yet is Shepard. Shepard smiles at you, Dewey. Wordlessly, they just smile. And then they nod in Gentle's direction. And Gentle, that's your cue to start meditating, of course. So tell us, what does that look like? Oh. Gentle's hair is down again today. They aren't wearing, like, their sandals or anything. They're just kind of there to just be more as, as grounded as they can to the earth. Gentle sort of walks up to Dewey and it's like, I have to do one thing real quick. And their hand glows almost like white, uh, similar to when they went invisible. And they just, if it's okay, uh, place their hand on Dewey's chest. And similar to when Gentle tried to remove the poison, a golden thread is there. Um, if you could do one thing for me, Dewey, just think of Dusty. It'll make the journey easier. Uh, and Gentle ties the thread around their uh, wrist to make sure they can get back. And they sit down, and that sort of, like, white aura uh, appears around them again as what feels like a few minutes, Gentle sort of projects out of their own body floating slightly up above themselves. The only difference really being that silvery, like, line tethering them back to their own body. Gentle, your consciousness opens like a scarf in the wind, and an astral space sprawls before your mind's eye. You see stars, so many stars, darkness, Fragments of other realities, echoes of other planes, and you anchor yourself to that silver thread spun from Nibusa's god shard, and you find that one string binding father and son together. That string, so thin, so frayed, shaved down to the edges, just an atom's width left. But you find it, and you grasp it. And back on the material plane, back on the now, Shepard turns to you, Dewey, and says, Dewey, whenever you're ready, just like Gentle said, focus on Dusty. Start calling them home. I think Dewey closes his eyes. He's takes a moment to ground himself, his feet in the dirt. And feeding off of all the love his friends have just given him. He thinks of his sword son, who's been through so much with him and whom he loves more than anything. 
in this life. Dewey, as you pull on that thread, that thought, binding you to Dusty, gentle, in the astral realm, you see that thread glow. It glows a bright, brilliant gold, and you follow. You follow it all the way out, all the way down, all the way through to a threshold, a doorway, an open portal gushing pure white light, teeming with a magic that eludes you. And standing in that doorway, looking very small and very scared, is Dusty. What do you do? I think I fly as close as I can and offer, I think, that very warm, gentle smile. Uh, hi. Um, my name's Gentle, and I'm a friend of your dad's, and he wanted me to make sure you got home safe and sound. Dusty's face, terrified, unsure, grows calm when he sees you. And they hold out a hand, reaching for your hand. Take it. And they squeeze your hand so hard, like a child scared to cross a street. But now that you're here, they're not so scared anymore. And you feel their gratitude, their relief, flooding into your mind. You feel how happy they are that they don't have to make this journey back home alone. That you're here to guide them. That you're here to hold their hand. And gentle, you guide Dusty back down that rope. Back down that thread. And at the very end of it, all of you see Shepard. Hand outstretched, offering their palm to Dusty. And Dusty lifts their hand from yours, gentle, and takes Shepard's. And on that, gentle, I think your eyes open in the now, and you see what everyone else sees, which is Shepard reaching up into the sky, their hand outstretched as though holding something invisible. And then they lower their arm, and as they do, Dusty materializes into existence. Their body, so soft, so radiant, is shimmering and ghostly, just like it was in Lilith's lab, just like it was during that final fight. They're not fully here. They're still an infusion, still a projection of Dewey's own magic. And Dewey, as Dusty ribbons into the now, you feel a deep ripple beginning to spread through your chest. It's the doom that fate had etched into your soul. And that doom returns to you now, on the brink of daybreak. And Dusty runs forward. He doesn't say anything, he just runs forward. And he hugs you. And they're crying, and they're laughing. And they're holding you so tight, just like Hana did. Like, they're so scared to let go. What do you do? Dewey holds them for as long as he thinks he can. And during the night, he had written, he had um, taken a note card and meticulously recorded the recipe for 
his tofu breakfast soup um, on it. Handwriting is uncharacteristically neat. He knows he has to. It's going to be referenced for a long time. It says things like the variety of dried mushrooms you'll need to rehydrate, to handle the fresh tofu with care. The broth should be simmered for 15 minutes or until your friends can be heard thundering down the stairs and sitting down for breakfast at the table, whichever one comes first. And he presses this note card into Dusty's hand as he lets go. And he stands up, he puts on the bravest smile he can manage on his face before letting go of Dusty and turning towards the sunrise. He takes a deep breath and starts walking towards the light. And at some point, the footsteps end, footsteps in the dirt end, and his wings begin to flutter. And it's not until he's taken flight that you see the tiny glinting of his tears falling off of his form. And Dewey, you fly. You fly into the air, into the growing light, as the rays of Galtanger pierce the darkness for the first time in over a year. And friends, the sunlight is so much brighter than you remember. The colors are radiant. It's more radiant than anything you could possibly imagine. And as Galtanger shines onto the Badlands, we watch as Dewey turns into beams of pure light as he ascends into the beyond. And so we end our campaign the same way it began, with a birth. And Shepard says, turning to look at the eight of you, smiling. Welcome to the world, Dusty. We love you so much. Thank you so much, everyone, for coming. Your presence here as our audience, as the witnesses to our story, means the whole world to me. This final episode of The Second Stranger represents the culmination of over three years of work for myself as a game master and a world builder, and I could not have asked for a better cast with which to share this world, this story, these characters, and this ending. The Second Stranger has always been a campaign about broken people and love. And what I mean by that is I truly do believe Queer love and trans joy are revolutionary forces that transcend space and time to bind us together. Precepts in their own right that honor the darkness and light within all of us. As a trans and queer Chinese American person, for me, bigotry and hatred have never been interesting concepts to explore or entertain. They're too mundane, too boring, too one-dimensional and static. But love is expansive. 
Love is everything and anything I want it to be. As a trans Chinese person, I am offered appropriation as affection, fetishization as admiration. I am told that this is the only kind of love I can get, and I should be grateful I'm getting anything at all. That I have no choice in this matter. Racists want me hurt, gone, or dead. So-called allies want me perfect. But my reality, my truth, is that I am broken and beautiful. I am wicked and vile. I am a monster and I am kind. I am bitter and I am joyous. In short, I am a person, three-dimensional and contradictory, and I have a choice. And I choose love. And for me, love is not just empathy or the ability to feel what others feel. Love is a transformative power I claim for myself as a person historically, institutionally, and systemically shut out from having it. Love doesn't look like what white institutions claim it looks like separated into neat boxes of romantic, platonic, familial, heterosexual, cisgender, neurotypical, productive. Love is whatever the fuck I say it is and whatever the fuck I want it to be. And that makes it real. Like Shepard says to fate and doom. Just because my way of loving isn't legible to some doesn't make me any less of a person. And getting to embody characters who are beautiful and loved, not in spite of, not because of, but alongside their brokenness, has been a tremendously fulfilling experience. So thank you, everyone, for being a part of this journey with me. Trans and queer love is the most powerful force in the fucking universe. And that's what The Second Stranger has been about, is about and is always about. And with that, I'm going to pass along introductions to Austin. Hi, I'll just follow that. Like, that wasn't... I've, I got nothing. I am Austin. My pronouns are he, they, she. I've been a Biku Ishtar, uh, whose pronouns are she, they, and this has been an incredible journey. Um... I was actually sitting in this very chair when Connie asked me to join the cast. It was about this time of day that I read the message, and it's not a year since as of this recording, or close to it though. Um, being a Biku has been a great joy, and being with all of you has made me a great person, I think. And I can't imagine a better crew to have done this with. Uh, so thank, thank all of you. Thank all of you, dear viewer or listener. Of, if you're in podcast form, you missed it. I pointed and yeah, I love y'all. Uh, I'm going to pass the mic to, to Valiant Dorian one last time. Don't say that. <laughs> Hi everyone, I am your humble, valiant love windstorian, as always. I use he him his pronouns. It has been, it has been my distinct honor and privilege to have been 
Vosca, Paragon Nebusa, for you all. I thank whatever power has landed me with this incredible cast and producers and dramaturg. I remember as well being asked to join Transplaner to play Vasca. And I want to thank you all, thank the audience, and thank this incredible group for letting me fall in love with Vasca to fulfill her and for crafting this incredible story. I cannot, I truly cannot think of a greater group to have done this with. And it has been my greatest honor. Thank you all. I'm going to pass our introduction so much there. Hey, <laughs> uh, my name is Dare, pronouns she, they, fey. Uh-huh. I have been gentle, Camellia, pronouns they, them. Uh, parent to bud, Camellia, lovely son. I, uh, fuck, I wasn't expecting to cry this bad. And that says a lot about how much I love both this project and every single person here. I never expected to care for Gentle as much as I did and for them to have such an impact on me as, as a performer, as, as a person. Uh, I love tea so much now. <laughs> I didn't expect to make it past a one shot, much less an entire mini series, much less the main campaign. And more than telling an amazing, beautiful story, I'm very lucky to share this room with these amazing people and got to experience all the joy that each one of them have brought me. So I love all of you. I'm not going to do my normal spiel. I'm just going to say onward to Erica. Hi, everybody. America, sheer pronouns. And I played Vasanti Nakshurzo. Um, also, she, her pronouns. And I'm so grateful to have gotten to be part of this uh, table. My only regret is not getting more scenes with everybody. Like, I want, like, 50 more scenes with everybody. But I want to thank everybody for coming along this journey and for me to get to tell the story about a con woman who, underneath it all, is just full of hurt and deserving of as much love as anybody else and how that can redeem someone. Uh... Yeah, I can't say much more than that without just breaking myself, so I'm going to pass it on to Quinn. Hi, everybody. I'm Quinn, and I'm fucking something. Uh, my pronouns are they, them. Uh, I have been your Silali Goldheart, who uses they, she pronouns. Uh, a year ago to recording this, uh, we were in an Oka one-shot. And then it was, hey, do you want to be in a miniseries about the hounds? And then it was, hey, do you want to join the main campaign? Um, and saying yes three times, uh, three times the fucking charm. And one of the best decisions I've ever made. I'm going to cry a lot. So, um, Max. Hello, I'm Max. Um, the pronouns are they, then. I've had the great honor of playing Cardew Dewey Quirk. Um, and I've, uh, I thank the stars every day um, that I've had 
the privilege to learn from, um, create alongside, and love with this group of people. Um, yeah, that's it for me. I'll pass it to Hamna. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Hamna. I use any and all pronouns. I'm sorry, I can't get through this without crying. <laughs> Um, and I have played Jerron Cather, who uses they, he pronouns, who is the keeper of Scott and Nectis. And I don't even have words for this whole experience that honestly has changed my life in more ways than I know how to say. Meeting all of these wonderful people who I love so much. Getting to tell this beautiful story. There is so much more of me and Jerron than I intended for there to ever be. <laughs> This <laughs> terrible dragon boy who loves too much doesn't know how to do it without hurting people. <laughs> and just to be able to tell a story in which people choose him despite being too much, that means a lot to me. Ah, okay. <laughs> Similarly, I didn't expect to be here for this long. I was here just as Darren Quinn said for the one shot and for mini series. And then I wrote a poem. I wrote a poem for Jaron and Oka and from that poem came an invitation to be here. And I will forever be grateful for that. Oh, and I will just pass this over to C for the last time. Okay, C, don't snort on stream when you're trying to say goodbye. Hi everyone, my name is C. You say them pronouns. <sighs> and I have had the utmost pleasure of getting to play your <sighs> Prince Makoya Oka Hien, Paragon of Sen, the worst, bloodiest, most horrible angel in the whole world. <sighs> and I don't really have words for how grateful I am to be here. And instead, I'll just kind of laugh about the fact that three years ago, Connie was like, I want to do a D&D podcast. And I was like, okay, well, I'll play in it as long as I don't have to do any work. And here I am, literally thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of work later. And I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be happier for all of the work and all of the time and the love that I've given to this because there, I think there is no greater joy than putting love in something and watching it grow and getting to watch it grow alongside all of you and spend hours in DMs just talking about how much we love each other in this world and our characters and the story we're telling has been, I think, one of the biggest joys of my life. Connie, I love you so much. Thank you for being my oblivion. I'll pass it back to you. Thank you for being my Oka. And thank you to all of you for being my incredible main characters, incredible cast members, weaving a story I could not tell alone. A story of love and death and hope and choice. I have a poem for all of you to send us off. It's a quick little thing. It's a quick little thing. Blessed be the wise 
for they have the mind to doubt. Blessed be the kind, for they have the heart to vow. Blessed be the strong, for they have the teeth to gouge. And blessed be the broken, for they have friends to make proud. So thank you everyone so much for coming. I have been your game master, Connie Chong. Farewell and good morning. Thank you for listening to The Second Stranger. This story may be over, but we have a lot more transplanter content in store for you. Starting with eight epilogues following each of the Paragons and Keepers, debuting this Thursday. And speaking of our Paragons, a massive thank you as always to our biggest Patreon supporters. Alex, Brooke Bright, Brooke in Seattle, Charles, Chiacres, Cora Eckert, Hat, Conding, Lex Slater, Lyle and Peanut, Matt Sweeney, Purple Mouse, Riley, Spencer Critchfield, Scruffesis, and Target. For a sneak peek at what we're cooking up behind the scenes, pledge to our Patreon today. Until next time, transplanards. <laughs>